welcome back to Take One, the podcast that brings you just one unifying page of Talmud a day. And in today's stuff, a tale of tribes. Have a listen. Rabbi Yehuda says, even if one tribe is impure and all the rest of the tribes are pure, all the tribes may perform the ritual of the Paschal Lamb in a state of ritual impurity as a communal offering is not divided. The Gemara explains that Rabbi Yehuda holds that one tribe, just one tribe, is called a community. And since an entire community is impure, it is considered as though half the Jewish people were pure and half were impure, and a communal offering is not divided. Therefore, all of them may perform the ritual of the Paschal Lamb in a state of ritual impurity. What an insight. If even one tribe among Israel is impure, it is as if the entire nation is divided. And we're talking now in a time where it so often feels that the Jewish people is indeed divided. It is indeed in the state of two tribes. And to help us sort of sort through this issue and figure out how we are to proceed with our rituals, with our beliefs, with our life, I have the great and distinct pleasure of welcoming the author of a book. And you know, I'm a nerd. I read a lot. And it's not that often that a book presents itself to me and really makes me stop in my tracks and and make me read and reread and make me send copies to a lot of other people so as to engage them in this discussion. But this book is one of them. And it is highly, highly, highly recommended. It is Judaism straight up. And we have the pleasure of having the author with us, Moshe Kopel. Hello. Hi, Leo. Pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. The pleasure is ours. The book, the subtitle, I should say, Why Real Religion Endures, is an absolute masterful meditation on a host of questions that I think a lot of us are asking right now, even if we can't formulate it quite as sort of clearly and and succinctly and eloquently as you did. So before we dive into all of this and talk about the tribes of the Jewish people and divisions and how to overcome them, when you read today's daf and read about this notion of divisions, a topic you've thought about a lot, what comes to mind? I love this sukkah, this little passage that you read, for the following reason. All this is a commentary on the Mishnah, which says that if a majority of the Jewish people are ritually impure, then one does one thing. If a majority are pure, then one does another thing. And uh, of course, of course, obviously, we then have to spend two pages quibbling about what happens if it's exactly half and half, right? That's, that's <laughs> what makes Jews so endearing. So, so... But then the beauty of it is that after after quibbling about this, uh, you know, completely unlikely event that it's exactly half impure and half pure, right? Then comes this passage, right? Which w- suddenly the whole thing becomes completely realistic. The idea is if there are tribes that are impure and there are tribes that are pure, well, then there's no majority. We don't count the individuals at that point. We say no. As long as there's at least one tribe on each side, then one can't act as if there's a majority and and, and the others are a mere minority. No tribe can ever be a mere minority. So there are obviously some really, really deep ideas being alluded to there about about the integrity of Jewish tribes. So I really like like the passage you read for that reason. This is a tremendous um, segue into your book, which is sort of built on an argument, if you will, between two tribes. One is represented by a man named Shimon and the other by a woman named Heidi. And they seem to kind of really embody 
two different, two radically different approaches to Jewish life that I think many of us uh, embody uh, or at the very least encounter. So tell us a little bit about them. So Shimon is a Holocaust survivor. He's a, a chassid of sorts, but, but the kind who, who came out of the war with, let's say, without illusions. And uh, he's very unabashedly tribal about his Judaism. Heidi is a, uh, a student I met back in, in Princeton in the 80s, and Heidi is, is proudly anti-tribal. The whole, the whole idea of, of belonging to the Jewish tribe uh, offends her moral sensibilities. And, and the conceit of the book is that, unlike what one might think, Heidi is actually the orthodox one, and Shimon is the worldly one, right? My claim is that, that you know, I, I go through in detail the differences between them. That Shimon has a real grasp on the world, but Heidi is, is somehow caught up in, in an ideology that doesn't let her see the world as it really is. A depending on where you stand, either a brilliant and liberating or a deeply upsetting conceit. So say a little bit more about this, because I think a lot of people listening would, would have this notion of the person with, with you know, the streimel uh, and, and the old world ways uh, is the person who is sort of rigid and attached to these, uh, to these you know, dogmas. And the person who is online in Zabar's on the Upper West Side waiting for the bagel unlocks is the person who uh, is, you know, committed to science, committed to liberal values. And yet you systemically and methodically, and if I may, using a lot of social and other science writing, really kind of make an, an argument to the contrary. So without giving away a lot of the wonders of the book, and again, this is, this is a, a short and thunderous book that really needs to be read, but give us the argument about why uh, it's exactly the opposite. Okay. So there, there were three areas, three main areas of disagreement. First of all, for Shimon, being a good person is more than just fairness, right? The tribal loyalty is a moral value for him. And all kinds of restraints on what you eat and who you sleep with, uh, you know, even if they sound fairly arbitrary, are actually Im important virtues for him. He thinks those are part and parcel of what morality is all about. For Heidi, it's all about just being fair and caring about other people. Uh, the second difference is that um, where do we learn right and wrong from? So for Shimon, we learn it from tradition. Tradition, of course, slowly adapts as circumstances change, but from tradition, whereas you know, for Heidi, it's, it's, you know, there are policy experts. Tradition doesn't hold much, uh, much value for her. Uh, it's, it's all about getting it right. And finally, uh, Schumann's deepest beliefs are really about tradition. They're about Torah and, and its non-arbitrary origins and the rewards that it gives. And, you know, he takes a long view, obviously. His rewards were the Holocaust, but, but he's, he's looking at it from a much longer view. And that, that Jewish history is directed. We're going somewhere, right? If, if the Jewish people are loyal, are loyal to the Torah, then ultimately we'll be redeemed. Those are his beliefs. For Heidi, well, she she believes at least, or she tries to to ascertain the truth through science, social science, and, and exact science, and, and so forth. Now, now all this sounds good for Heidi, right? I mean, it makes perfect sense that we, you know, fairness is really important. Policy experts can figure out what's right and wrong, and 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 science can reveal the truth. But, but in bottom line is the tribalism is kind of baked into our genes, so we can either cultivate it and and moderate it. Right, so that we can we can carry our tribal traditions with us in in a reasonable way, which is what Shimon tries to do, or we could just try to deny it and let it come back to bite us. 
And and uh, the 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 whole argument to the book is you can't you can't beat tribalism, and if you try to, it's it's going to bite you bad. One of the arguments that the book makes along these lines, uh, which I found particularly compelling, and, and I hope listeners to a podcast that is that is deeply uh, attached to these questions of trying to decide, you know, or, or ascertain or understand, you know, how halacha works, is the argument that you make. Okay, look, if you think that being stuck in a in this quote unquote tribal system means you're sort of just accepting tradition uh, without any argumentation, you actually make the very compelling argument that that halacha is way more complex uh, than people on the outside give it credit for because it it develops as a kind of um, back and forth between experts, uh, the, the rabbis, the people who study the text, and and communities who live and embody them um, in a way that makes um, in a way that makes sure that nothing is ever kind of top down arbitrary as sometimes social policies are. That's right. The analogy that I give in the book is that halacha is something like language, right? I mean, if you think about language, there's no council of language that decides what's right and what's wrong. All this, it kind of comes from the bottom up. The way people speak determines what proper grammar is and how one how one speaks one language, you know, one's language correctly. Right. Thank thank God the the grammar Nazis are completely theoretical. <laughs> right. So the the point is that the, the grammar books actually reflect the way people speak. They don't actually determine the way people speak, except maybe in very, very, you know, marginal, borderline borderline cases, right? So halacha is something like language. It has some, obviously, it has something in common with law as well, but but not that much, much less than people think. You know, people call halacha Jewish law, when in fact, uh, laws are determined by by, uh, legislatures. They're enforced by, you know, by the police and the courts. And uh, halacha doesn't work that way at all, right? It, it really comes from below. Nobody enforces it. So, uh, so in that respect, it's a lot more um, natural and organic than than other legal systems are. It is it is something akin to language. It's a, it's a very very sophisticated and subtle system that involves the interaction of experts like rabbis, as you said, and uh, what people actually do. Uh, you know, people's intuitions and reasoning, you know, and tradition. So it, it, it's it's kind of it's kind of subtle and clever, which uh, you know I think is exactly the point of of, of your Dafyomi podcast. So uh, yeah. And so when when we contemplate this discussion, uh, this ongoing pas de deux between Shimon and Heidi, which is really I think kind of the central drama of, of so much of contemporary Jewish life, right, of, of these two tribes, and you could call them secular and religious, and you could call them left and right. But really, I think you've, you've captured the intricacies of the divisions in, the, in a much more subtle and smart way, because it really is about these fundamentally different worldviews that correspond to so much more than these labels. So my question to you is, having now explored it at, at length, are you hopeful uh, that uh, that there might be a dialogue between the Shimmons and the Heides that we might somehow be able to reconcile, if you will, the 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 thrust towards uh you know progressive modernity and and the adherence to traditional values. Yes and no. My, I'm sorry for not being able to give you a perfectly straightforward answer, but but that's the honest truth. The, the yes, Judaism has always had these two elements to it. You know, kind of these 
prophetic ideas, you know, the big ideas about about liberty and about justice and and uh, and all that, which is wonderful. And at the same time, it, it's always been about these these niggling details of halacha, and and oftentimes, you know, it's hard to reconcile the two. You say, wait a minute, okay, you know. How does exactly this tiny detail of Allah, you know, we only eat fish with fins and scales, you know, how does that exactly tie us into the grand notions of, of, of truth, justice, and, and the Jewish way, right? And, um, and, and I, I think that these ultimately will be reconciled, but my, my suspicion is, as I write in the book, I don't think that outside of Israel, the chances are really very good that this is going to work out well. Because when you, you're forever challenged by the Heides, right? When you, you're forever forced to a defensive position about your tribalism, uh, ultimately you're either going to be putting up bigger and bigger walls or you're going to be subtly accommodating, eventually assimilating and acculturating. It, it's hard for me to see how, how it's going to work out well. But I am very optimistic about Israel. I think that, you know, what I'm seeing around me in Israel is that people are coming somehow towards, you know, converging towards something interesting in the middle. Um, it, it, sometimes it doesn't sound that way. You know, you hear the, you know, Haredi crazies, right, uh, who, who are doing all kinds of bizarre things, especially during Corona times. And you say, my God, what the hell is happening? People are going crazier. Uh, but what's really going on under the surface is that there is kind of a culture of Judaism as a, not as a, uh, you know, an anti-culture, but as a real culture, and it's happening here. You see it in music, you see it in art, and slowly we're seeing people, you know, even trying to have their halacha make sense to them. You know, the way we, the way we do the mitzvot that, that are, in, you know, in, you know, agricultural mitzvot that, that's specific to, to, to the land of Israel, and Shabbat and other things. They're starting to be performed in a way that makes sense, that 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 reconciles these these grand visions with, with the niggling details. And I, I'm very very optimistic about Israel. I, I'm I'm sorry to say I'm less optimistic about the United States. Another sort of minor character in the book uh, is Amber, who is Heidi's daughter, who who you uh, really I think captured as someone who's who's. Uh, who served time on college campuses in, in this country. Uh, I think, I think you, you capture her neatly. Uh, she is a religious fanatic. I mean, she is a, a fundamentalist zealot, of course, never once admitting uh, anything of the sort, because in her mind, she's a great big progressive believer in, you know, truth, beauty, science, and, and justice. Uh, but really someone who's, who's increasingly uh, and incredibly intolerant and, and committed to these dogmas that she's not willing to actually examine and explore. Uh, and so while, while the uh, lack of optimism is, is perhaps uh, about this country is, is, is perhaps fully understood, uh, is, there, is there anything uh, from this, as you call it, real religion, from this embodied way of life, which is, which is as I think you capture neatly in the book, way more uh, intricate, way more introspective, uh, way less, you know, uh, thunderous and, and, and all uh, domineering, then people who will not define themselves as religious may think, is there anything, any sort of one insight that we who may belong firmly to the camp of the Heides may embrace or take with us to, to sort of let the, the swelling subside a little bit? 
Okay, well, thanks for bringing up Amber. A- Amber, Amber is Heidi's punishment. Okay, I, I, you know, <laughs> Heidi has they, Heidi has these wonderful ideas about fairness and about about you know engineering uh, a society so that it it does the right thing and and believing in, in in the truth of science and and because tribalism is baked in and 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 you can't escape it right her punishment is is amber right so so amber has more rules about what you can eat and what you can say than 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 Shimon does or any any Haredi could ever have and and not only that but but she wants them imposed by law right i mean she she wants you prosecuted for for you know doing these you know committing committing these offenses right and and uh, you know if, if heidi thinks that 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 her beliefs are rational that shimon's are irrational well well amber has beliefs about race and gender and privilege it comes strictly from ideology and are completely divorced from anybody's experience of life right and not only that but you know she wants to set her her lynch mobs out you know seeking out heretics to punish them for 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 holding these these bad beliefs so that's why i think on the one hand heidi is kind of getting her just desserts but on the other hand since you asked you know i want to say something good about heidi Heidi is genuinely liberal, liberal in the good sense, right? Uh, liberal, liberal in the sense of actually believing in in the enlightenment values of, of rationality and of tolerance. She genuinely wants fairness, and she genuinely wants to engineer society in a way that would make it better. And she genuinely believes in in, in science, which really does help us get at the truth. So, so in many many ways, I respect Heidi. I even love Heidi, right? But. The problem is, she's just not facing reality. You can't deny tribalism. Moshe Kapal, thank you so much for this majestic book and for being our guest today. Liel, it was my pleasure to be here. Thanks so much. This has been Take One, a production of Tablet Magazine. If you enjoy this show, please go and rate and review us on iTunes or whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts. Each week, we'll be releasing new episodes Monday through Friday, covering the entire weekly portion of Dafiomi. I'm your host, Leah Liebowitz. Our producer is Josh Cross, and our editor is Paul Ruest. For more information, go to tabletmag.com slash takeone or email us at takeone at tabletmag.com. I hope we've made your day a little bit more Talmudic, and we'll see you again soon.